I'm Lacey. And I'm Kippen. We're two friends who love to get lost inside a great story. And we're welcoming you to our own little book club. This is One Page More, a podcast. Oh, hello. What up, girl? All right. Jump right in. Um, so this is episode three, Where the Crawdads Sing by Delia Owens. All right. I am super excited to talk about this book. It was so juicy. Uh, I'll do a quick rundown for those of you who haven't read it. Where the Crawdads Sing is a, I would say it's partly a romance, partly a mystery Um, It tells the story of Kaya, who's abandoned at a very young age. She lives out in the marshlands of North Carolina, I think like Outer Banks. And she basically raises herself out in the marsh. Um, It's set in the 60s. And it tells her story of growing up and being isolated. uh, Some relationships that she has over that time. And in the end, um, it's kind of interwoven with this murder that happens in her small town. Um, And it was really good. I would give it three and a half stars, personally. I actually started this book thinking that I didn't like it that much and ended it liking it quite a bit. And while I would not call it a light read, I would call it a very digestible read. Like, it was extremely easy um, to just breeze through. The story was engaging. Um, but it did bum me out a lot, actually, especially the first half. So what do you think? How many stars are you getting at? See, I'm, I'm definitely thinking it's definitely in the four. I'm almost thinking four and a half. It was, I originally went there with no, I had no clue what the book was about which made it so much more fun. I don't really do mysteries. I'm not like very into them, but I was really engrossed in this story of this little poor trash child. It was just another story (laughs) of a crazy upbringing. Um, I think, I think it's gotta be four and a half for me. I was, I was very into it. And once I got just maybe like five chapters in, I, did not want to put it down. I finished it in like under two days. So I thought it was great. (laughs) No, I totally get that. And I think the reason why I have to downgrade it is because if I hadn't been reading it with you, I don't know if I would have continued to read it and not because it wasn't interesting. Just some of the parts were so sad to me in the very beginning and so hit kind of close to home that I was just like, oh, like I just, it was really hard to read for some of that first half. So I was going to say that was what was so interesting. So we pretty much kept all of our comments to ourselves with the exception that the book is really broken into these two halves. The first half is like her as a child and all this like, you know, trauma and whatnot that she goes through and learning to like raise herself. And then the second half focuses a lot more on her um, becoming an adult and then the actual murder and so I love the first half and you enjoyed the second half so much more so I thought that was so fascinating and I was really that it was the first bit of the story that engrossed me so there was no way that I was going to be able to stop within the first chapter Kippen her whole family leaves <laughs> with this I know. little girl <laughs> it's wild with the exception of so, that, I guess 
Right. So we're going to jump in and spoiler part of the podcast. The first half, like Lacey said, she's like literally swamp trash is what she's called over and over again. <laughs> White trash, dirty, nasty little girl. That just killed me. She lives with her drunk, good for nothing daddy who she doesn't ever see. Her mother, uh, so she has five, four siblings. Her mother just gets up one morning and leaves. She walks out and there's this reoccurring, you know, memory that Kaya has of her mom walking out of the house in these fake alligator shoes just like wobbling down the lane and she doesn't even turn around and wave, which she always did. And the I think the reason why it was so hard for me is, and we'll get there later, but there's a part in the first half of the book when it kind of goes into the history of the mom and dad. And it it's like, this is, this is who they were before Kaya was born, you know, trying to kind of explain like how they got into this predicament. And it did not make me feel sympathetic for these people at all. In fact, <laughs> it made me feel more loathsome towards the parents. And I felt, I honestly felt like the author should not have put that kind of flashback scene in there. I thought it was, it told me nothing that I didn't already surmise from who they were. It was like kind of a trite little thing. And it just made me so mad. (laughs) What's so interesting is I felt the exact opposite because when the the story first started, so the mom is kind of, um, so everything is at this point based on Kaya's uh, memories her mom is kind of supposed to be this like very sweet, very loving parent, pretty involved, like they have no money to spare. So like, you know, she but she tries her best to do little fun things that she can afford, you know, teaching her kids these different little things like her at six years old. She's already she's trying to she's cooking on the stovetop and just different little things. I guess she was able to teach her where the dad is this um you know, you said he's not around and he's not around much, but whenever he is, he is such an explosive drunk. And so over and over again, like Kaya's memories are peppered with her and her siblings and especially her mother getting like just beaten up left and right. And whenever he is there, he's constantly, you know, holding the liquor bottle in one hand and slapping somebody with the next. So I don't know this. I, I enjoyed them kind of explaining a little bit how these two totally different people kind of could get together. But I agree. It, it was kind of a little bit odd since the whole story is told from Kaya's point of view. And this was like a total random, just kind of ride in, just kind of like just dropped in there. So I can sort of see what you mean, but I, I don't know. I kind of like that she at least attempted to explain how they got together because it was such an odd pairing yeah yeah I guess you're right and we really don't know much about her her mom except for her childish memories and the fact that even though Kaya's mom never returns she loves her Mm -hmm. so fiercely the entire book and that that really was sweet to me because a lot of people would start to hate and despise their parent and although she never understood why she didn't come back she never hated her and she she longed for her so intensely and that also made me really really sad um so you see her as a little child you know trying like going to the piggly wiggly 
uh, not knowing how to count change and lying through her teeth to everybody she meets that, you know, she's not an orphan. Like her parents are just at home. Um, eventually a truant officer tries to like come and get her and take her to school and she takes her to school and everybody makes fun of her. One thing that stood out to me, it was my first note that I took is that the truancy officer was specifically like, Oh, you can go barefoot. Lots of children go barefoot to the school, but you got to wear a skirt cause you're a girl. I'm like, this is some trash. Like <laughs> this, these little people, I, they were all supposed, I guess they were all supposed to be like really poor, but nobody was really to the level. And that's like kind of what the story kept highlighting is nobody was to her level of poor. Like, you know, they weren't in her kind of poverty. The, and I loved part of why I enjoyed the first of the book so much too was it kept talking about this little shack that was the only way it described her house as a little old rusted shack on the marsh right on the water and just like all of this this imagery like the way she wrote it up I was so engrossed in you know her constantly walking out to her little <laughs> like just walking a couple steps from her yard and then all about the birds and all the shells and all like the big swooping trees and the, the oh gosh, little redneck um, men driving by in their little tiny boats. It was, oh man. I enjoy, so, I enjoy this. <laughs> yeah, we're both from the South. And even though I'm not from the Outer Banks of North Carolina, I did grow up in knowing people like this and Actually, my mom kind of lived in a marshy area whenever she was young. And so I have lots of memories from whenever I was really little of, like, being near the marsh. And one thing that I, I mean, I guess I understand, but I don't really, is how everyone is so cold and just outright mean to her. And she's literally six. Um, and they're just so bigoted in the way they speak to her and look at her. And the only people that show her any kindness is her friend Jumpin, who runs like the local boat kind of gas station. It's like out on the tip of a wharf or whatever, um, who's black and faces lots of racism and horrible things himself. And then his wife, Mabel. And this leads me to my second point of like what I didn't quite get about the book is how was she not even more feral than what she was like in the book she definitely is terrified of people this is the defining thing in her life that not only is she isolated so I'd said that she went to school one time and she never returned she was so horrified that everyone was laughing at her and being cruel to her and that she couldn't even spell dog she spelled it g-o-d um i just i would almost think that a girl from the age of six who had been alone almost constantly i wonder could she even speak (laughs) and would would her mind just be like that of a child her whole life it mentioned at some point and i think it was maybe the first time so i don't even know if we mentioned that so her So at one point she was left with her dad and it seemed like it was maybe for about a year or so that her dad would like kind of come in and out of her life. So he, for, you know, maybe he'd come home for a weekend and then he'd be gone and then come in. 
And then at some point, he just kind of drifted away. And then when it, that's whenever her relationship with Jumpin' really started. And I believe it was the first time she spoke with him that the author made a note. And it's almost exactly what you're saying, where it was like she hadn't spoken in so long that it was it was almost like her... I wish I could remember exactly what it said, but it was almost like she had to really sit there and think of how to kind of like form the words, because I think you're exactly right. At a certain point, unless she is communicating with somebody, you just kind of lose those skills. But I, I guess through her relationship with jumping, that was probably such a major part of her development that we did or that I didn't even think about. Because you're right, she used Belize jumping for so many things. But I guess that probably was a big part of it because that was about the only person that she had a real constant relationship with until she was a teenager. Yeah. I don't know if it mentioned anybody else. <laughs> so when she is still very small, she is brave enough. Um, her dad like goes away for a couple days and she takes his boat out into the marsh and she ends up getting lost. And she runs into this boy, um, Tate, and he says that he used to be friends with her brother, Jody, who was her favorite brother, but her brother left uh, when he, and he was 12, I believe. And Jody or Tate ends up leading her back home. And then over the years, she kind of looks around for him in the marsh and is always like drawn to him. And then... I don't know. Do you want to skip ahead or is there anything else you want to talk about with her being a little girl before we get into the Tate? Let me see. The Tate years. So, well, there's maybe like one big crux of the story that I I don't know if we've mentioned or that we haven't mentioned. So at one point, Kaya, um, her her and her father were getting along really well. And and it, it really broke my heart because there were so many like little small moments. So she got a book bag, like a hand me down book bag. And it was, and she, talks about like she'd never been given a gift by him before and it moved her so much and at one point she caught this big fish and he called her hun and like and you know she laid in bed thinking about it so it was like she was wanting these little tiny small kindnesses and you know they kind of had this like great summer where they built this awesome not awesome that's not true (laughs) they built a better relationship than what they've had before and then all of a sudden she gets this letter. And so you mentioned this poor family. They have, she has no education. They have no access to, you know, uh, it seems like any sort of help. At one point she like steps on a rusted nail. Like there's just a lot of, a lot of neglect going on. But when she gets this letter and she's sure it's her mother's handwriting, but she has no idea what it says. So she shows it to her dad. And this is whenever everything, like her relationship with her dad changes he takes all of her mama's things, uh, dresses, and I believe she had um, painted uh, watercolors or different little things, burns it all. She has no clue what the letter says. And then that's her only like link to her mother that she has for the rest of her life. So I think that was maybe like the one of the bigger parts from the beginning. But yeah, so she just, uh, until she's a teenager or until she's an adult, you know, she just totally, um, she even forgets like her relate or uh, her siblings and her mom and like she just I don't know she just goes through this like mental mental block with her whole family except for like some of the misery uh and the you know terrible things that she's went through and then I guess a few a few good moments from her childhood but she just she doesn't remember them where she doesn't remember how old her siblings were and things like that so 
Well, and I won't harp on this too much longer, but that's the other thing. Her siblings were a lot older than her. She's got she had two older sisters and two older brothers, and she was close to Jody, but he ended up leaving whenever he was about twelve, and she was still six. And that leads you to believe that her oldest sister was probably at least 16 or 17. And it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, her mama walked off without her youngest child. I understand needing to run away from these, this horrible, horrible man who is your father. But as an older sister myself, I could have never left a little six-year-old in that house with him. No matter what. Like, I just know that. And I'm like, how could all of them? That was a bit of a plot hole. I completely agree. Because I also was like, or at least, and what what was also interesting, nobody for the next 10 years comes to even check on her. They don't write yeah. a letter or they don't do any sort of a follow-up. So it's almost like, did they all die? Did they all, you know, become homeless and get killed <laughs> or some, have some traumatic end? Like, why did nobody right. care? about this poor child or they all just have like extreme ptsd and uh (laughs) like behavioral mental illness because they had terrible parents who knows uh yeah so anyway a few years go by and she is walking in the woods one day she collects feathers and shells and loves the marsh and i think she was what 13 or she was i guess she was 14 or 15 i'm pretty sure okay so she's 14 and she walks past this stump and someone has well first of all she thinks she sees a guy out of the corner of her eye so she runs off into the marsh and she's really good at hiding and kind of stalking around and when she comes back, someone's left a feather, like a very specific, special heron feather, I believe it was, on the stump. And she takes it and she's like, oh, my goodness, like someone's left this for me. And she goes back day by day and there's more feathers. And then finally she leaves one of her own. Um, and it ends up being Tate, who, you know, led her home all those years ago. And at first she's super spooked, but she's still kind of drawn to him because she does want companionship. Um, And they end up forming a friendship and he offers, because he offers to teach her to read, which she desperately wants to learn. And so over the next couple months, he teaches her to read and she, you know, they just get closer and closer and they end up forming a relationship. Now, I think this is why I could not let myself fully get into the first part of the book. Because you've got this tragic lead up with her and nobody giving a dang about her um, in this entire small community, including her own family. And then you have Tate, who is five years older than her. Which is not a ton. Like, Lacey and her husband are, like, five years apart. But when you're 14 and someone's, like, 18 or 19, to me, it borders on a little creepy. It also says very specifically at this point that Kaya is very beautiful. And very um, she's got Also. What? She's very childish, remember? So, like, she's super right. naive and- Exactly. And so that's the part that skeeved me out is he, Tate is very well adjusted. 
he has a loving father he lost his mother and sister earlier in his life but he's had a pretty good life compared to Kaya and he's drawn to her but I it it skeeves me out because even if she's 14 she probably has the mental age not intelligence but age of like a 10 year old and she is quickly like obsessed with them and they have this relationship and it just icks me out a little bit that like it almost feels like he's taking advantage of her a little bit and I know that he's not and he's actually very respectful in their relationship like they never end up having sex even though she really wants to um and he feels very protective of her but that the whole relationship I'm just like like I can't I could not fully get on board with it so I never I didn't quite get to that point and I I totally I absolutely agree with your points and they're totally spot on but I think I just felt I felt so relieved that Kaya finally had somebody that was pretty constant in her life because at this point you know from the time you know so I guess this would be about Mm -hmm. 10 years of her life she had no one literally no one that she could rely on and I enjoyed so much uh, that part of their a huge part of their relationship was this big bonding factor where they really they loved the marsh and uh, in a very specific way where they enjoyed documenting all the different things all the shells all of the animals all the feathers and uh, and so I thought that that was like such a sweet kind of like a cute little I don't know. It seemed, it felt very, I don't know. It just felt very tender. It didn't seem as creepy <laughs> as now that you, now that you lay it out. I'll tell you what you mean, but I didn't feel this way. You are right, though. I can see both sides because uh, at the same token, I was rooting for them. And then when they eventually uh, end up breaking up, which we'll talk about, I was so sad for her and I felt like their relationship did have a future. But there was one, I, let me talk a minute about Tate. So he's like of Scottish ancestry because he has this big, you know, Scotsman father or whatever. But actually one thing that Scupper said was my favorite line in almost the whole book. And I'm going to read it really quick. Um, It said, his dad had told him many times that the definition of a real man is one who cries without shame reads poetry with his heart, feels opera in his soul, and does what's necessary to, to defend a woman. And I was like, oh, yes, we praise our king who is <laughs> not a male chauvinist and loves opera and is a shrimper. And also, and... his son like, he did, he followed in his footsteps. He was just a yes. good person. That's what made it so easy to like him and to want to root for him is that he was just a good person. Totally, totally, totally. Um, I will say, I I really did like Tate as a character. There was a moment where it kind of foreshadowed for me that he, it wasn't going to last. And it was when they were on the beach. And he's finally talking about the fact that his mom and his sister died. Um, and then he kind of blames it on himself because they had gone to go get him a birthday present from Asheville. Also, in my mind, I'm like, how far do they live from Asheville? They reference <laughs> Asheville over and over again. 
I've been to Asheville a few times, and I'm just like, that must be a very long trip. It's anyway. at least a five-hour trip, is my speculation. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, Tate says, at least you can, or Kaya's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, I don't have a mom either. And Tate says, at least you can hope she does come back. Um, because basically implying because she's not dead and that moment seemed very selfish and very out of character for him because he is so careful with her but he has a father and how can he at 18 not look at this pathetic little wretch who is his girlfriend and pity her and ever see himself as anything but better off than her and that was like the moment where I was like, oh no, you're about to do something really cruel, aren't you? And I was right. <laughs> See, one of the, my, one of, not probably my most favorite thing about Tate is that he is like the vehicle that got Kaya to be self sufficient to a point. So through her education, yeah. it's just like our, <laughs> our previous book we listened to. Y'all listen to a podcast episode or our podcast episode two we talk about educated and here's a lot of similar themes going on but yeah. I, I thought that it was her or him teaching her to read and what was so fascinating was how it, it talks about how she she never really grasped this concept that she should kind of learn little or big or you know she just kind of took everything all at once and she just jumped into learning and so by him doing that it was able to facilitate her being able to really focus on the actual um, biology and whatnot of all that was around her. So she really was able to focus in on her hobbies and her passions in like a much more specific way. So I loved so much that, you know, him just doing a simple favor for her by teaching her how to read ended up being such a life changing um, thing for her. I just, I, mm-hmm. Tate has a special place in my heart because he just took her <laughs> in, even though, even though we know what, what is to come. <laughs> and I'm going to jump around a little bit, but it was also horrifying to me, an interesting choice that, so they kind of talk about, um, she goes to see Jumpin' and Mabel, and they had brought her some clothes, and she brings her a bra, because <laughs> she's 14 now, and she needs a bra. And she kind of intonates that, like, oh, if anything happens that you need to talk to me about, just let me know. And you're like, oh, yeah, she doesn't have her period yet. And, like, the next scene, she's driving her boat and she thinks she's about to die or, like, have diarrhea all over the place. And she goes and sits on the beach because she can't really make it home. And Tate pulls up and he is the one that basically tells her what's going on that like you have your period which I cannot even imagine the level of shame (laughs) I would have over this um that moment I was like oh my gosh I would literally die uh but again he was very sweet about it and ends up like you know leaving but kind of making sure she gets home safely um there is a moment where I felt like the author again could have I'll tell you I feel like this author she had a great story and she was like almost there with the writing some of it had beautiful beautiful passages but I actually felt like her dialogue was a little clunky 
but I could not figure out if it was the way she writes or if it was just the way that Kaya speaks because she's not used to having tons of conversation. Like you just said, she literally reads biology textbooks for fun. So I'm like, do you speak like this because you're literally used to reading like science books or is this author just not maybe the best at dialogue? I felt like so much of it was the, the, the language was so clipped from her. Mm-hmm. And I totally just associated that with, okay, she hasn't been around people because there would just be so many points where, and I think it's, you know, the first time she ever reads a sentence, what she says, something that was really, really beautiful. And it was talk- and I wish I could remember it, but it was talking about how, how words can hold so much and how a sentence, like she didn't realize, um, how, how much you can convey with it. And I, and I, it's gotta be because, you know, she's, <laughs> you know, she's using such very specific, she's getting her point across and that's it. She's not trying to make it beautiful. She's not trying to add emphasis on things. She's just kind of trying to say what she's got to say and that's enough. So that's yeah. what I kind of felt like with the, the language was just not, I don't know. It was very specific. That makes sense. Yeah, I'm talking more about when she says, when she has her longer quotes, I just can't imagine anybody saying stuff like that. But again, I think you're right. She just doesn't know how to properly emote with her words. And I wrote down that quote, too. Um, It's, I wasn't aware that words could hold so much. I didn't know a sentence could be so full when she's reading, uh, which was so sweet and and tender and she ends up loving poetry later which is also kind of a point of the book um what did you think about the poetry within the book it was i really liked it (laughs) i love poetry so i was i was down for the poetry see i'm the opposite where i i don't mind poetry but i'm not somebody that's easily i don't jump right into poetry so for me i will say i was finding myself um fast forward no not fast forward, but <laughs> skipping through a lot of the passages because there were so many. But yes, obviously it does eventually play a much bigger role. And I probably would have paid more attention had I known that. <laughs> I did. So there's a author, a poet that they reference. And I was like, I've never heard of this poet. And I looked her up and I'm like, this isn't a poet. Like <laughs> this must be so bizarre. So it made sense. It kind of helped me pick out a little bit of the, the storyline there. You understood um, that. Yeah. So anyway, I'm trying to think where we were. Oh yes, Tate. Let's get back to Tate. So Tate is a smarty pants who wants to be a biologist. Um, and he ends up going to, I think it was UNC Chapel Hill Mm -hmm. and he promises her, don't worry, Kaya, I'm only going to be gone a month. I'll be back on the 4th of July. And this did kill me. She had gotten, especially like how they described how she was dressed and everything. She had gotten this. Was this when she had the peach chiffon dress? Yeah, this was that later. I believe, yeah, I believe this was the very special dress from Mabel, wasn't it? Yeah. So I'm picturing like this beautiful chiffon, like 50s, um, strapless, basically prom dress. And she's wearing it because she's so excited 
for Tate to come home and she's sitting on the beach and she's waiting all day. And she literally waited for, I think, three days until she realized he was not coming back. And he totally ghosts her. And this was so despicable to me. I could barely ever forgive him. I mean, I eventually did. He won me back over later in the book, but I was really devastated for her. I agree wholeheartedly because how much easier would it have been for her if he would have just said, you know, Kaya, I care about you, but we're in different places or I need to focus on school or any other excuse other than for him just to disappear like everyone else in her life just you know take a number just be the next one yeah that really hurt me later he said like it has like oh he really did go and see her but he watched her through you know the bushes and then sees her see someone else coming up on their boat and freaks out and like hides and he's kind of seeing her in this voyeuristic way um and that's what turns him off. And he's like, oh my gosh, I can't have everything I want if I stay with Kaya. I'm going to either have to be stuck here my whole life with Kaya or I can be this wonderful, you know, doctor, scientist person and live out my dream. And he's not willing to give that up. Which on some respects, I get it. And like, it, it makes sense. But the way he did it was so cruel because... I'm thinking you're sitting here looking her at her in this voyeuristic way where she can't even see you, which is totally like stealing her privacy, which is the most important thing to her. And you're seeing her at her most vulnerable. And it's like, on one hand, you know, that's the thing he loved the most about her was that she was so different and she was so only his, you know, like even though, Later in the book, we're going to talk about another relationship. Um, Even though Tate loved her a lot, he never kind of made a move to, like, introduce him, introduce her to his dad. And I know from later in the book that Kaya probably would have been okay with that. You know what I mean? Like, he never tried to kind of pull her at all into his world, even though he did her with other skills which is wonderful but that's what really made me sad it's like you can't love this in a person and also hate it at the same time like that's not fair everyone that had a relationship with her you're totally right they they wanted her to be a separate part where it was like her plus the marsh and that's it where you're right they never went into town and not even like went to town on a date but like went to town to do anything or were introduced around other people or said hey this is somebody I go to school with or here's a school dance or here's a hamburger joint like you're right they were totally separated it was always just them at the marsh and that's all and I think a lot of the time they um it's specifically in the second relationship it meant they're the the guy constantly is mentioning like, Oh, like you wouldn't like that anyways. You know, like they, they definitely put, try to push her into this box where it's like, Oh, you don't like people. You don't want to be around people. So that's why you're not, or why I'm not introducing you. Not because I'm not ashamed of you or anything, but you just wouldn't like it. So there's yeah. definitely that like big divide. And she's just constantly isolated. Bless really heart. 
So there's definitely a big vein of kind of that Nicholas Sparks Southern romance that runs through this book, which I was leaning into. I'm not going to lie. I will take the notebook any day. I'm not above that. And so there's this element of love triangle that comes in. Love a love triangle. I'm here for it. Um, so she ends up several years later. That also made me so sad. It's like, four years later (laughs) of living alone of being after Tate ditches her she's now apparently even more beautiful and uh stately and elegant um and she ends up talking to chase andrews who is like the hot shot in town i believe that they are actually the exact same age or maybe he's like a maybe one or two years older than her so the age difference is not that much and he was like the former quarterback the king of the town um everybody loves him he's his parents who are rich by barkley cove the town standards um everybody loves him and he's their only child and they end up meeting up and he's she I mean she says it straight up like she's very very attracted to him and almost like starving for attention and relationship so even though he's not a perfect fit and he's kind of um just like a I don't know he's like the picture perfect jock kind of thing she still is very eager to be in a relationship with him um, on their first date, though, he tries to, like, feel her up. And I really liked this part when she, like, <laughs> swatted him away and was, like, she was, she knew she was worth more than fried chicken, which is <laughs> what they had had for lunch. And um, a theme throughout this book is talking about the food and the delicious southern food and then juxtaposing that with the total crap that Kaya tends to eat, which is, like, lumpy cold grits and oh, like God. muscles <laughs> spread on toast or something oh. smashed into grits <laughs> Sick. okay Sick. so I, what and it's interesting that you bring up that part because what i kept thinking about was there is so much um so many references to animal science and to the behaviors of animals and because Kaya has spent her whole life at one point she talks about how the goals are her family like you know she loves all of the the little creatures near her so much that she's like oh like you know even even an animal would put on a better show to try to get a mate versus this man that's just you know barely doing a little bit of nothing (laughs) so I loved how they kept like bringing in so many references of things like that Chase to me was so after Tate Tate was just constantly like written to be this very respectful um not even handsome but like acute just like kind of really you know they shared similar passions were chased to me I immediately couldn't stand because every you know he she shows her or she shows him her insane um collections and he was like oh like he has like total disregard doesn't care at all is not impressed in the least even though it's supposed to be this very impressive uh show I just, I could not stand him. I was just. Did you get a big uh, Gaston vibe from Chase? That's the perfect. That is the perfect way to put it. The number one thing I thought of, like Gaston holding up the book, being like, why would you want to read this? (laughs) It's 
because of you know all of his like little personal life experiences he feels like he's just this big shot and also it it references a lot of different times in the book where he's talking to the the people in the community about her and it's there's never any I'm trying to remember their relationship was about how long was it at least like a year or two right at least I think it was like at least two years. So, so he had, you know, all this time that he could have really like developed feelings towards her and maybe he did a little bit, but he's constantly telling everyone in town, like he's just there to better, um, that she's this like wild, uh, what does he call her? A minx or, you know, and I'm like, really? Like she, you know, you're the only person in her life and she really cares for you and you clearly don't care at all. So, um, I guess maybe now's a good point to mention that he was the one that was murdered. <laughs> yeah. Had- and you find out that very early in the story. Right. That's true. I I did like that they sprinkled those t- little mini chapters in between um, with flash forwards into the investigation into his death. He's found um, under a tower. So it's a fire tower built out in the marsh which is so interesting because um, there's a park here that has a fire tower out in the marsh just like that. And we've climbed up it a couple of times with the girls and it's creepy up there. Like it, it, this one is made of grates and like you can lift a grate and then just fall right through. And this one is made of boards, but it's very tall and very rickety. Um, so I could just picture it perfectly and they find him in the mud underneath just stone dead and there's no real evidence at all because there's no prints there's no anything and so they they're kind of investigating this throughout um i guess i i do wish there was one more step of like chase's inner dialogue because you get that a little bit from tate you can you can get some of his perspective at sometimes the, I do think he he loved her. He thought of her as his personal property, I think. And I only say he, he did have something real for her because he continued. So at one point, she finds a shell. And I actually thought this was very sweet. It mentions in the book that she loved to give gifts because that luxury had been taken from her because she didn't have anybody to give them to. And as someone who does love to give a gift, I can totally see that, like the privilege of knowing someone so well to make them something and give them something and show your appreciation. Like that really touched me. I was like, oh, Kaya. But she finds this shell with like a perfect little hole in it um, on one of their dates. And she puts it on a piece of rawhide and gives it to him as a necklace. And he almost never takes it off, even after they've not been together for like two or three years. Um, so that right there tells me there's something there, but we never get that kind of extra little layer of like, why are you this way? Like, are you really just a huge a-hole or like, what's going on here? And I wanted nothing to do with him. After I knew the way that he spoke about her to the community, I just, I despised him. And con- True. And, and also the the constant, like, trying his best to, like, seduce her and, like, really pressuring her, going out of his way to just be exactly, like you said, like, this, like, quintessential when you think of, like, a terrible person. Like, he's just trying his best to check off every single box. Even when it talks about... Oh, bless that their first time 
Um, and just in the the way it's written, where he just like totally doesn't care about her. I, it was certain parts like that was really hard for me to think or to for me to feel anything as far as whenever he's you know they're talking like his mom is so devastated he died. I'm like, well, you raised a terrible child, so I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> he's the worst. Okay, and this is skipping forward a little bit, but so I don't forget. It is really weird to me that, so he ends up marrying someone else and he doesn't, and he's telling her the whole time, we're going to get married, Kaya. I'm going to build you a big old house right on the edge of the marsh. Um, I'm going to build you a studio where you can paint and have your collections and just spinning tails and blowing smoke. And he ends up marrying this girl whose name is Pearl. Um, after he dies and they're investigating and then they're having the trial and everything, she is never mentioned at all. Like they have one run in where Kaya sees Chase in town and he's with Pearl. And then later she opens the paper and sees their engagement announcement. And that's when she ends it. And she's just so horrified. But isn't that weird? Like they never mention Pearl again. Pearl never you know, come to the station. It wouldn't She's never weird if the mama wasn't constantly mentioned. The mama yeah. is the one that takes that place. It's on, you're, you're right. It's totally like he was a bachelor where it's his mama that is constantly like, you've got to find who did it. I know this person did it. Throw him under the jail. Mm-hmm. Where his wife, which also he was a, um, a philanderer. Philanderer, my family's right. <laughs> he was mm-hmm. a womanizer. So, you know, maybe... I just kind of thought, like, maybe she married this man for his money. Once he died, it was kind of like, okay, well, um, I still got my meal ticket. I still got your money. So it's got to be because I'm like, I want to know more about her. Like, she knew that he was hooking up with her for years before. Everybody knew that. And yet she still went and married him. I don't know. That's an interesting character that I would have liked a few lines about, but whatever. She doesn't really matter. Um, uh, so anyway, let's get to the trial they, because there's so yes, so much <laughs> still to talk about. They end up breaking up. Two years later, she runs into him on the beach, and he's been married. Obviously, she wants nothing to do with him. He's wearing the necklace still, and he tries to rape her, which is so horrible. There's later there's like an account of two fishermen that are kind of like hearing and watching it happen and it's so disgusting to me that they did nothing to try and help her um she fights him off but he literally like had gotten her underwear down like was punched her in the face yes just horrible horrible um so anyway when he's found dead they're like hearing these things like oh it's probably the marsh girl it's probably the marsh girl one because nobody likes kaya because they think she's weird and she's trash um and then two the mom mentions that he always wore this shell necklace she knew it was from that marsh girl and it was gone whenever they found him so they end up taking kaya into custody um and I should mention that between this, Tate does try to come back and apologize. He realizes he's an idiot and she won't have anything to do with him. So at least he tried. He did win me over over his many attempts to do that. <laughs> <laughs> he also, but again, I guess he does. I was like, 
I guess he has a big part too of uh, he takes a lot of her samples and different things that she's been collecting and helps uh, helps her along the path of getting published. But before she can even worry about any of this, yes, she's thrown in the jail. She won't allow anyone to come visit her. What I thought was so interesting, and this was such like a tiny part of the book, but the um, I wrote his name on Tom Milton was her defense attorney. And this was so mm-hmm. strange to me is that it talked about how he came out of retirement. And I kept thinking like, okay, why? right. <laughs> I liked that he did because he had tons of great um, counterpoints to all the prosecution. But I kept thinking like, why would, you know, I'm glad you want to help her, but why would you do this? Like you're the, <laughs> other than Tate, this is the only person that's really came to this girl's aid at a time of need. So I just never really understood that. But at the same time, he was so great at his job that I was like, okay, I'll give this plot hole a pass because I want her (laughs) to be able to have the best defense possible. Yeah, there's some real stock characters in this book, like Chase, who is definitely Gaston. Um, I think that Tom Milton definitely takes the place of, like, Andy Griffith. Like, that's exactly (laughs) who I was picturing. Um He's just like this genial old. I guess you're right. There's a gentleman. lot of tropes and a lot of very specific characters that she's feeding into. This is also her first book, so I'm like, I guess right. you know, I'll give you a pass. Yeah. I, again, it was very, it was very engaging. It, it's a great summer book for sure. Like read this on the beach, but, um, yeah, that is interesting. I didn't even think about that, but you're totally right, and. Anyway, they go through, they have plenty of people who are really trying hard to get her um, actually, like, the death penalty. They charge her with first-degree murder, which is pretty intense. Um, and also, there was no ev- there was no concrete evidence. That's what kept it me. Yeah. There was a few little um, hairs from a hat that she had that was Tate's, I believe. Or was it Yeah. So... You know, it wasn't even her hat, and that was, like, the only kind of evidence. So I kept thinking, like, hmm, y'all were hanging on by a thread here, other than a little bit of hearsay. (laughs) Totally. And it just proves how biased they were towards her, which is totally awful. Because the night that Tate, or that Tate, the night that Chase was, how they say, murdered, because remember, he fell off the tower. He could have easily fallen off as an accident by himself. They knew that he had gone there many times in the past. Um, he actually takes Kaya there because it's not too far from town. Um, and it's a place that she wasn't familiar with because it was too close to the town and she never went over there. So she happened to be in Greenville the night that he was murdered. Um, she, like Lacey said, had published a couple books at this point and they were very successful um, of her specimens and her her paintings and things like that. So that's her big defense that she was gone. She wasn't there. People saw her get on the bus, get off the bus. Um, I, you know, to go back to what we were talking about to begin with, I think the reason why I liked the second part of the book more than the first, even though you had the love story of Tate and all of that, you know, backstory of her as a child in the first part, I think all of it was just, a little too dark for me right now at this point in my life (laughs) whereas the second part even though bad things are still happening to her at least she's an adult 
and she can fight back a little bit. And so I was definitely sucked into the plot of like, did she really actually do this? Or is she, I, or is she going to get off or whatever? And is she going to end up with Tate? Like, I really wanted her to. Um, and then I, yeah. even though Chase was trash, I still was pretty engaged in that storyline. So that's, I guess, why I really liked the second half more. I, I didn't mind. So I actually really enjoyed, especially whenever it would do the um, the cross-examinations and, and those kind of like the actual like when it got to the trial, I didn't care as much for the lead up with the uh, the sheriff and his little local deputy and like gathering yeah. that, that kind of stuff. I was like, okay, I don't care about this. But I did enjoy when the actual people would come and specifically, once again, Tom Milton, you know, he would always kind of like rebuke what they said and make sure, you know, we're not going to guess on this. This is a murder trial. Did you see it or not? You know, those kind of things. I was like, okay, like, you know, I, I enjoyed, but, um, can we get a streaming service to make this into a miniseries? Because it would make a great miniseries. And you could think about it. If you have like awesome cinematography, that would really gorgeous thing. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so before we even say what and all happened, what was your theory for what happened? How, how did you, what did you think happened to Chase? Oh, here's the thing. So they have a very thin case and they use lots of like, really out there they're like she could have got on the bus in the middle of the night and made it back from Greenville and killed him and then come back and then that would have been the perfect alibi and they have someone that like thinks that they saw someone kind of like her driving her boat in the middle of the night towards the tower they have they have a bus driver who's like she wasn't on the bus in the middle of the night but there was a (laughs) skinny man and there was an old lady. Okay, so I didn't totally think she did it. However, you said that there was all this, uh, anim- these animal motifs through the book, which is true. And then as it got closer to the end, it kept bringing up insects, female mm-hmm. insects that killed their uh, mates, that killed their mate. And I thought. For sure, what I wanted to happen is that she killed him and then she got away with it, right? Um, And I thought that pretty much the whole time because of those little, uh, little, like, moments in the book where it was like, oh, a mantis eating her mate's head or a firefly that, like, gobbles up the other species or whatever. And I was like, she has got to have killed this man. I just don't really understand how she did it because... Their scheme that they come up, came up with was so cockamamie that it didn't make any sense to me. So I kept thinking, I, I'm, I, I never felt like she did it because exactly like you said, whenever they were outlining what could have happened, I'm like, there's no way. You know, it's like, oh, she would have had one hour to have sprinted down to her boat, got him. And then I kept thinking, like, how the heck is she seducing him? Like, how does she know he's there? You know, there don't right. There were so many missing things. I got to the point where I thought it had, you know, kept talking about Tate really wanting to kind of like get back with her, and how he was so indignant whenever he would hear Chase talking about her. I, I kind of was like, okay, did he do this for her? I, I just because it kind of like reintroduced him all of a sudden, and I just really wasn't sure. So, I. Yeah, there was, so I guess a uh, major spoiler, we, well, I don't know if, I guess it's now a good time. Well, she gets off 
um, for mm-hmm. she gets off and uh, is not convicted. What am I trying to say? She's <laughs> yeah, she's found innocent, right? And then her and Tate end up getting back together. And then there's this like epitaph at the end where it's talking about, you know, they grew old together in the marsh and they build a big house and they never had children but had a wonderful life. Blah blah blah. And then she dies quite young, which, by the way, I was not super into the epitaph. This whole book, I could tell it was her first novel because it was like, she must be an avid reader, obviously. And she's like, if I ever read a book, I want to know that they're happily ever after, you know? See, she's just like me because I, I 100%, I'm like, whenever I read a book, if there's not going to be a sequel, then you better tie that dang thing up with a bow. <laughs> I want to know how many kids they had. Were they happy? What was their life like? Like, I want the finality of it all. So you're right. She totally, she went for it. Yeah. She sealed it all out. And it's, I mean, and I'm sitting here complaining that it was so tragic in the beginning, but I actually love a bittersweet ending so that was a little (laughs) it was a little heavy-handed for me in the end but I still appreciated it you know um but in the very very end she dies rather young she was like 64 which I was like wow that really is super young um and after her death Tate finds all of these old poems and there are these poems that had been put and sprinkled throughout the book and then he finds out that she had a nom de plume and she had all these little poems that were published and he finds one called the firefly which is basically an admission of guilt that she lured him to that fire tower and pushed him off because she knew and it after he raped he tried to rape her there are scenes where you can tell that he's trying to hunt her down um, and she, and she even says that she would, yeah, she would never live like that. So, so she, she must have done it. And he ends up burning all of her poems so that no one will ever find out. But the biggest plot hole to me is how did she get him to get up on that flipping tower with her? Did he just, she just send him a note like, Hey, meet me here. Like, I know you wanted me the other day, but uh i realized that you're right like let's hook back up or whatever and he's just that dumb that was the only that was the the most confusing part to me and the only part that i really kind of was scratching my head at because they kind of alluded to what could have happened and like you said it was very far-fetched I'm like okay you're right she could have done this could have done that but that part i kept thinking the same thing like what why would this man go up there? Or did she know that, did he have a routine that we didn't know about that she did? Uh, was he just, was he drunk? Was there just so many questions for that part. I agreed. I loved that poem though. It was all the rest of, like I said, I'm not really into poetry. That one though was so specific and to the point where I felt like a lot of hers <laughs> were not as much, but that mm-hmm. one I really did enjoy. And whenever I read that, I genuinely was so surprised because it, uh, there was maybe I, I kind of got to the point where I'm like, okay, we're not going to know the ending as far as who killed him. And I was fine with it because, like I said, he wasn't a great character. I didn't care yeah. for him. I was like, okay, as long as Kaya got off and she lived a happy life, I'm fine. So I was really surprised that she you know, very specifically came in, told us how it happened, like to a, to a very, um, so yeah, that was, you know, a big and hole. you know what, instead of the whole scene at the end where 
she talks about their, you know, elder years together. I honestly would have preferred if she shortened that and then literally just wrote a scene exactly of how she pulled it off. I think that would have been really interesting. Like, was she that (laughs) old lady on the bus? Like, for real, she had a disguise? I just don't buy that. So I'm like, there has to be another way. She couldn't drive. She didn't have a car. I don't think that Tate helped her. Oh, That was definitely a red herring of like her having the hat and the fibers and stuff. But yeah, I would have really actually liked that scene. I'm just wondering if even the author herself wasn't quite sure how she pulled it off, but she just knows that she I thought it was so interesting too, because yeah, Tate had no idea. He was so shocked after he found all of this. He burns all the poems. Mm -hmm. He finds the necklace that had been taken off of Chase's dead body and destroys it and you know and because he's so doesn't want to um i guess destroy the the small reputation that she had eventually built up you know this kind Mm -hmm. of definitely like a lot of uh intrigue going on there so i thought that was kind of kind of sweet where he just kind of wanted to protect her even after she died it was just kind of like okay we're just gonna we're gonna let this go we're just pretend it never happened I know. What would you do if you were 65 years old and you realized that, you know, Graham had murdered someone who was terrible? That's the, like, yeah. you know, 40 years ago. I mean, that's a great point. And, and that's what made it where it seemed like it was okay to me. It's not, but obviously it's a book, so I can feel that way. Where it's like, oh, look, he's terrible, yeah. but you're right. Like, he was somebody's husband, he was somebody's son. But, but anyways, yeah. he, he was terrible. What was so cute to me, uh, and, was um that the i guess there's only what like four people that really stood up for her uh very specifically in the during the trial and also like it kind of like reflected like a, as in her letter in life uh jumping we didn't really talk at all about jumping but jumping was such a great yeah. character such a wonderful <laughs> father figure one of my favorite parts of the book is whenever she gets her very first book published and she goes to his little bait and tackle shop and she gives it to him and she says how he like immediately, you know, kind of like beaming with pride, displays her book like a father would. And they just have like this awesome relationship where it's not just like a customer, but it's like a genuine friend, a family member. And then at one point, Mabel, the wife says, you were like a daughter to him. I was, oh, it just got to me. That was the one moment in this book where I burst into tears when she's like, and he was my Paul. I'm like, oh. So dang sweet. I, I love that. I loved how um, it really built up their relationship. Oh, and one more. I know we're getting close on time, but I thought this was so interesting. All of this stuff, Kippen, was happening in the 50s and the 60s. When I was reading it, yeah. I kept thinking the 20s, the 30s. And then I kept thinking like, wow, like it really was like, you know, there was so much. Uh, progression that had been made but at the same time clearly not because here she is you know living in extreme poverty nobody's caring about her here he is he's like you know talks about two little white children running after him and like hitting him with rocks and stuff and I'm like oh my gosh totally so for full clarity when we are recording this there have been protests all week um, in the wake of George Floyd being murdered which is so awful and me and Lacey both think like black lives matter and we want to be there and see racism finally hopefully come to an end and just work towards that but it like puts in a perfect light 
that it's 1970 and they still look at jump in and mabel sideways when they come and try and sit at the bottom of the courthouse behind kaya and when they're waiting for her um her verdict to come through that they they're not even allowed to wait inside the courthouse and it's just it's disgusting and so sad when you just think about like how long that went on it truly is well they even it is for real though called colored town like, are you serious? <laughs> oh, very sad. Terrible. Uh, Delia Owens, she got me with this book. I, I really thought it was good. I would read another book she wrote. I really would. Oh, did I tell you? This I woman totally has would. a PhD in, what is it, like animal behaviors or something or other. And I kept thinking like, oh, it makes total sense to me now how she, you know, how so much of the book focused on all those kind of things. So, I don't know. I thought that was a really interesting point. Super interesting. Definitely recommend it. Um, I think that everyone will like it from no matter what angle you're coming at it. I think that you will enjoy this book. I think so too. It's it's worth a good read. It'll be a quick read, especially if if you like murder mysteries, romances, or awesome imagery. So it's a lot you can draw from. <laughs> All right.